This is Meatless, a podcast about eating from how we get to next. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show asks the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, I talk to Rupa Kaliana Raman Marcello of Monsoon Sweets. The baker, whose work focuses on South Asian flavors, has been a lifelong vegetarian. We discuss how her day job in public health influences her approach to treats, corporate marketing and sugar consumption, and raising vegetarian kids. Thank you so much for being here, Rupa. Thank you, Alicia. I'm really glad to be here and to talk to you about food. (laughs) Uh, So can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? So I grew up on Long Island. Um, I like to always start by saying that I was born in Queens. Right, right. Um, So I'm I'm, I'm a New Yorker by birth. Uh, (laughs) My parents moved to Long Island when my brother and I were little for public schools. Um, The ones in New York City weren't good at the time in the early 80s. Um, So I grew up just outside of Queens on Long Island. And my family is from South India. So they are vegetarian, as are most South Indians, and so I was raised vegetarian. Um, and I've never eaten meat, except for incidents where um, mischievous children have tricked me into eating it, <laughs> or accidentally at a restaurant. Right. Um, but yeah, that's just all I've known. And you know, as my brother and I got older, my mom, who did all the cooking, um, she said, you know, if you want to eat meat outside the house, you can. She didn't want to make it, you know, something that was forced upon us, like sort of a good psychological parent move, I think. Right. right. Like. <laughs> Okay, you don't have to rebel. You can go ahead and do it. But <laughs> I think my brother did. Um, he doesn't eat meat now, but I never did. Because as I got, um, you know, I think in my teen years, I definitely I definitely was a PETA member in high school. Right. Um, <laughs> not a PETA member anymore. Um, but I just, you know, I had no interest in eating it. I didn't want to eat animals. I thought it was pretty horrible. Um, I never had, so why would I start? Um, and so I've just, yeah, I've been vegetarian my whole life and, you know, growing up, um, you know, eating out was something we rarely did because we would go to the pizza hut, um, or like the pizza parlor two blocks away. Um, you know, as I started getting older, like in middle school and high school, there were some Thai restaurants that opened up. We would always go to, you know, Italian restaurants. Um, but my youth was filled with very sad salads. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I've only recently come to learn to love the salad after, you know, uh, many, many years of (laughs) hating salads, um, as being my forced meal option. Um, but even when I was a kid at birthday parties, they would always eat pepperoni pizza and some adult would say, just take the pepperoni off. So I would sit there and not eat. Uh, Um, it doesn't work that way, guys. Um, so, I mean, it's just... It's just amazing to me now when I go out to eat. I still am paralyzed by menus where I can choose anything I want. Right. Where your Where do you go that you can choose where whatever you want that you enjoy? Um, my two absolute favorite places, which I would choose both as my last meals, but are very different settings. Um, and I think these are probably a lot of people's favorite places are Superiority Burger and Dirt Candy. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've actually been going to Dirt Candy since it opened, and I, I know the owner, Amanda, fairly well. Um, I've actually done some desserts for her oh, restaurant. Cool. Um, but it's just, it was amazing to me when it opened that it was, 
here was a place that was vegetarian, but that also wasn't preachy. I mean, uh, my options previously were Angelica. Right. And I was <laughs> not into Angelica. Like, <laughs> like, I love you, Angelica. Thank you for being a place where I could eat something. But it didn't taste like anything. It right. just was like, okay, there's no meat in our food. So, right. you know, it was just so amazing to go to a restaurant, be able to eat everything and have it be indulgent. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a preachy vegetarian restaurant. I think that was the problem with vegetarianism for so long. It was always viewed as, well, this is the healthy alternative. You know, it, it was very austere. Right. Um, and I think that sort of happened with veganism as well. And it's sort of coming out of that now. Yeah. And I think vegetarianism is firmly out of that territory, but it was just always very austere joyless um you know you tell someone you're a vegetarian and they oh look at you like what's wrong with you right 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 like i still eat pizza and fries and things (laughs) are very bad for me like i I still eat salty fatty foods but it's just doesn't have pepperoni on it um but yeah it's just i mean i i can't like i think 15 year old me would be is just amazed by all the options that i have now right 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 i still sometimes miss angelica kitchen though (laughs) (laughs) i want like a macrobiotic tempeh sushi (laughs) roll and a carob tart um but you so you were a PETA member in high school and but you're you know how what was kind of the bridge between your family's reasons for being vegetarian and you getting into a more like that kind of ethical, more militant style. All right. I'm going to be very honest here. I was a PETA member because my best friend was a PETA member. Okay. And so she was super into it. I think she still is. Um, so, you know, I kind of tagged along. It was fun to go to the March in Manhattan. And, you know, there was always like free tickets. I saw, I think, cannot remember the name of the band, but it was at the Palladium, which is now an NYU dorm. So I loved sort of like going to the March and being in the city when I was in right. high school. So that was kind of a big reason that I was a member. Um, so I didn't, that really, I didn't really love their tactics, which haven't really changed very much in the past right. 20 years, more than 20 years. Um, but I just, you know, for me, it was always, why would I kill an animal? Like pigs right. and cows are adorable. And why would I eat that? Like, I certainly am not going to eat my pet dog. Not that I have a pet dog, but (laughs) you know, why would you do that? Like I eat such delicious food that there's absolutely no reason for me to eat an animal. Right. 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 Um, I think also my perspective coming from it, you know, I grew up eating South Indian food, which is super delicious, full of flavor, really fresh, loaded with vegetables and lentils uh, and grains. And so I think that, you know, for the average American, you know, they're just not accustomed to eating that way. And they're not familiar with that cuisine. Whereas for them, vegetarian food is like a very sad, you know, wilted iceberg lettuce salad with a very sad pink tomato and some, you know, bottled ranch dressing on it. And like, I don't want to eat that either. Like, that's (laughs) gross. I'm not eating that. So I think that, you know, I knew that, you know, I was eating all this amazing food growing up. And so I just, I had no reason to change it. Um, You know, as for my parents, um, you know, traditionally in Hinduism, my parents are Hindu. I am sort of (laughs) on some days when I want to be, I am and other days I'm not, um, you know, that's just, that's just how they were raised too. And you know how her, their grandparents were raised and they just never ate it because there was absolutely no need to, you know, the food, the South Indian cuisine is just that it's just full of amazing things to eat. And so I was raised that way as well. And I just, it never, it never appealed to me to eat animals. And I, I, I love animals. Um, I wouldn't say I'm like a militant, you know, animal rights person. I've definitely worn my share of leather. Um, You know, I I try to avoid it now, but I'm not perfect. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes your shoes are just going to have to be leather. Right. Um, 
but I just, you know, I just see absolutely no need for it. And I think that now people are starting to see, especially with this proliferation of so many restaurants that make amazing, amazing food that is not just vegetarian, but often vegan. Like there's really absolutely no need to eat animals. So I, I mean, I've known that for a long time, right. given the food that I grew up eating. And I'm, I'm, it's so, it's just amazing to see that now that so many other people are starting to see that as well. Right, right, right. And you, your husband is vegetarian and yes, you, he is. you made him vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't phrase it that way. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, you, you inspired this yes, change. Yes. 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 That's, that's a wonderful way of putting it. I inspired him. Um, so I love to cook and I've always done all the cooking in our relationship. Um, and I don't cook meat right. and I wasn't about to start cooking meat for him. And so, you know, whenever we, when we started dating, whenever he'd come over, I would cook or, you know, we'd go out. Um, but I never cooked meat. And then when we got married I did all the cooking um you know when we go out he would order meat um but he was eating less and less of it because he wasn't eating it at home um you know I'm generally pretty good about packing lunches so I'd pack Mm -hmm. lunches for us no meat in that you know he was eating it so infrequently that he realized what's the point and also he started feeling bad that he couldn't share his food with me right and so he just stopped eating it about a year after we got married oh wow yeah yeah. And I, we, I've talked to some people on the show about like the gender roles in the kitchen and how that kind of manifests. But it is funny how you, I think you told me that you do all the cooking, but it's because you're better at it. Well, I, I love it. I <laughs> yeah. mean, like, I mean, I, and, you know, I think part of it is I'm better at it because I've yeah. done it for so right, long. Right, right, right. You know, he actually really loves cooking. He's, he's good, really good at Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, I, I'm a little controlling in the kitchen. You know, he always offers like, oh, I'm going to make something once a week. But because he's not as experienced, it takes him a lot longer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe I should be a little more welcome in the kitchen, I guess. But yeah, yeah it, it's it's mostly because I just love doing it. It was never an expectation that I do it. It was right. just that I love doing it. And it's, you know, I'm just much more efficient about it now. So of course. Yeah. that's just how it shook out. So, right. yeah, I have the same dynamic in, in my relationship. And I, I do feel like it's because I'm controlling, but it also is just an efficiency <laughs> thing. It, it really is. It's like, right. it, it's insane to like deal with someone who's in if I don't know I mean before we had kids I'm like fine you want to take two hours to make dinner that's fine like I can wait till nine o'clock to eat I'm like now there are very hungry people at <laughs> six o'clock and we need to eat so was there any question that your children would be vegetarian or no never um we actually talked about this before he got married and he was totally fine with it um yeah. you know I think that there was some conversation about you know if they want to try meat you know we should let them and you know I said yeah, maybe when they're older and can sort of make these judgment calls for themselves, but not when they're five and don't really understand what that entails. Um, The funny thing is, though, my son, who's almost six, is absolutely horrified (laughs) and disgusted by meat and is a little too um, vociferous about it because he will say, why are you eating a dead chicken? Like, please stop. (laughs) Please stop saying that in front of people. So he's... (laughs) And he's gotten the message. Have there been any, I mean, obviously, I guess not. Like there haven't been challenges with like him kind of understanding that or. He, I mean, he's such a little nature lover. Like his favorite TV show is Wild Kratts and it's all about animals being free and in the wild. So he actually kind (laughs) of hates zoos now. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's very radical. (laughs) It's the zoo. Yeah. Like, but they're all in cages, mom. Like, I know. (laughs) I don't know how to justify this to you, kid. Yeah. Um, So yeah, he just, he's a little animal lover and does not think that we should cage or eat them or 
otherwise disturb them from their natural habitats. Wow. And I can't really disagree with them. That's awesome. Um, so your work in food is actually kind of two-prong as, I don't know if it's even two-pronged or just like parallel lines, sort of, like you're a baker with Monsoon Sweets and you also work in public health. Uh, how did you kind of end up in, in these two roles? Yeah. So uh, people always ask me this question because, um, I work in public health and specifically with a focus on food policy as it relates to unhealthy foods and shifting our built environment so that those foods are less accessible and healthier foods are more accessible. But I also bake really decadent cakes. Um, and people always ask me, well, how do those two things mesh with one another? Aren't they sort of in conflict? Um, And I say no. In fact, they are completely aligned with one another. Um, It's totally fine to have a big piece of cake on your birthday. Right. Like, it's your birthday. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. But you shouldn't have a big piece of cake every other day of the week. Right. And, And the problem has become that we are eating sugar and sweets every day. And they're not special occasion foods anymore. You know, there's... It's just, and that is the problem. It's not that, you know, you shouldn't ever have cake. And I have a real problem with people who don't believe in candy on Halloween. Like Halloween (laughs) is really fun. Eat all the Snickers, kid. Knock yourself (laughs) out. Eat the Snickers. It's just, you shouldn't have the Snickers every other day. And I think people are really, have lost sight of the fact that our food system has become inundated with sugar and unhealthy foods. And that's not how it's always been. Right, right, right. And how do you think that ended up happening? Oh. <laughs> I think this is a topic for another episode. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the like oversimplified answer is women joining the workforce. Um, you know, with packaged foods becoming more, you know, the rise of packaged foods, convenience foods, um, you know, entering the supermarket. You know, when women are out of the house, right, you don't have two hours in the middle of the day to cook a meal for your family. You get home from work and you've got maybe... 30 to 45 minutes to get something on the table for your family, which is very challenging. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to, you know, gender roles, as we were talking about with cooking, you know, women are expected to do the cooking. I mean, I don't think that's the case anymore, but certainly when they started entering the workforce, um, you know, more than 50 years ago. And so food manufacturers, you know, took advantage of that opportunity and those have really inundated our food system and our, and that's where we are now. And that's become the norm for people to eat that way. Um, to really processed foods, even things that don't necessarily appear processed, like a jar of pasta sauce. It's got a ton of sugar and salt in it. And if you were to make that yourself, it wouldn't, I mean, it would have some salt in it, I suppose, but I don't put a ton of sugar when I, into my tomato sauce when I make it. (laughs) But you know, when you buy it from the store, it's just this, it's this image of convenience. And that's how, that's what so many of our foods are like. Um, and so we're just surrounded by sugar and salt and we're also surrounded by unhealthy food in unlikely locations, like the checkout line at home Depot, right? Like I was (laughs) buying potting soil and there was a whole display of candy and, and junk food. I'm like, this guy in front of me has a saw and I have soil. Why is there this food here? It's totally unnecessary. Or you're at like Bed Bath & Beyond and there's all this candy. It's like, I have towels. I don't need candy right now. And it's just, it's showing up in all of these places and it's just easy and it's human nature to, when you see something that's enticing, you probably will get it. Right, right, right. And so food companies know this. The stores have high profit margins on it because they don't ever go bad. And so we're just surrounded by all of this food. And I think getting back to sort of my, my dual role in food is that 
you know, it's fine to indulge in those things every now and then it's, and it's not just fine. It's wonderful. And you should, and you should savor those things. Like you should eat that piece of cake and love it and be happy with it. Um, and not just take one bite and say, I'm done. Like eat the whole piece of cake, but then don't (laughs) eat the candy bar when you're at Michael's buying, you know, a scrapbook. Right, 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 right. And you, you've said, to me that, you know, you're coming for everyone's sodas and that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> Shh, don't tell them I that. know. So like what, how, what do you perceive as like the role of food and maybe like governmental regulation in, in public health and like where, how much reach should there be? In um, that? That's, that is a great question. Um, I have worked in that arena before. Um, you know, I think the challenge here is that you know, people view it as this nanny state. Um, but the challenge is that we don't necessarily realize how much big food companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and all the other sort of packaged food companies are controlling us. Um, you know, we hear about it. Oh, you know, New York city proposes, um, a restriction on large sodas and we hear about it and we're like that, like, that's absurd. You can't tell me that I can't have a big soda, but no, there's no press release when, um, you know, Target has a cooler full of sodas right. right at the checkout aisle. Or when the Home Depot has a row full of candy bars at the checkout aisle. You don't hear about it. No one's saying that to you. And like, no one's up in arms about it saying, why is there junk food at the hardware store mm-hmm. or at the craft store? And so we don't think about it that way because no one's making a big deal out of it. Right, right, right. You know, if the city were to just very quietly remove all the big sodas. Like I don't think people would necessarily notice and be so upset about it. And that's what's happening from the other end. And government has really limited resources and is trying to fight these huge global corporations that have billions upon billions of dollars and are doing all of these things. Like, I mean, they're, they have so, like such sophisticated tactics that rely on insights from behavioral economics and psychology, they know how to make us want their products. And that's Mm -hmm. what government is up against. And so, you know, I feel like it's very, I think it's unfair, but I think people need to think about what these large profit driven companies are doing and what the government, the government's not profit driven. The government's trying to help you. Um, That's their ultimate goal, especially health departments. You know, they want to keep people healthy. They're not they're not making any money. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it's, I think people need to really think about how corporations are manipulating our food environment. Right, right, right. And what do you think about vegetarianism or veganism as being kind of considered a health-based lifestyle? And like, would, do you think that it would have a broad impact if people did eat less meat and, and move toward these plant-based diets. So I think, you know, I, there's so much evidence and there's more coming out every several weeks about, you know, with all these studies showing that plant-based diets and, you know, I want to pause to talk about the term plant-based for a minute. I think that is challenging. And I think we need a consistent definition of it because some people use it to mean strictly vegan. Some people use it to mean largely plant-based, but not strictly plant foods. Um, but using it in the sort of looser sense, you know, diets that are mostly, you know, comprised of plant-based foods have been shown to have significant benefits, um, as it relates to cardiovascular health, um, diabetes, um, just metabolic issues, and even just mortality rates and life expectancy. Um, and so we see that reducing meat consumption is, has really significant health benefits. Um, I feel like every month I see somewhat conflicting information about the environmental benefits of it. 
Um, you know, at the at the very least, though, it does not do more harm than eating diets that are high in animal products. Right. So it may be zero sum on that front, but the health benefits are are so well known, and even just reducing meat consumption has been shown to be really beneficial for your health. And I think that you know. I think that everyone should try to go meatless or vegetarian or whatever they want to call it. Um, you know, the Meatless Mondays campaign has been around for a really long time. And I think that, I think they need a sort of a new angle maybe. Right. Um, it's, <laughs> Cause it's sort of, it's sort of a long time ago when vegetarianism was seen sort of as this like kind of hippie, healthy thing to do. Um, not to say that it's not a healthy thing to do, but it's, I feel like vegetarianism has a fresh face these days. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's just so important that we start moving people in that direction. Yeah. What do you, what do you think it needs to be done to get people moving in that direction? Um, I have to say, I think, you know, in places like New York where places like Superiority Burger have lines out the door, it's impossible to get a table at Dirt Candy unless you're, you know, you call two months to the day before, you know, that you want your table. Places like that. I think that making vegetarian food sexy is sort of important, especially to get younger people, you know, to see that benefit. And I think it's going to be a generational shift. It's not, I don't think we're going to see that immediately. I think as we see people in their, you know, even teenagers, young adults starting to shift that way, we may see changes, you know, when they have children and in in coming generations. Um, So I think that it's, it's sort of one of these long haul changes, but I think we're moving in that direction. Totally. Um, and you've been running Monsoon Suites since 2017 to kind of shift gears, I guess. Yes. Um, and you, you focus on South Asian flavors. What was the thought process behind developing that menu? Yeah. Um, so I've actually, I've been baking since I was maybe seven. Um, and this was a direct result of me being, um, really picky and Mm -hmm. also stubborn. Um, (laughs) I didn't like the cakes that my mom had been getting and she said, go ahead and make your own. I said, Okay, I will. <laughs> and she didn't think I was going to do it. I did yeah. it. I bought, I mean, it was a Pillsbury Funfetti cake mix and the gross canned frosting. Right. Um, and I still, I, I have a picture somewhere at home and it's, it's like this pink cake. I got the, like the gel piping it was border, had a teddy bear on it. It was super cheesy, but I was like seven. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've just really loved baking since then. So my background's actually in molecular biology as well. Um, I studied music and molecular biology in college. So <laughs> I'm a very scientific but also creative person. And baking is the the combination of the two. Um, and so I've just always loved baking because it allows me to do both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so when I graduated college, I bought myself a KitchenAid mixer. Um, everyone thought I was married yeah. and I couldn't quite understand why. And then I realized it was because of the mixer on top of my fridge. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm 21. Why would I be married? <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and so I just really immersed myself in that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd come home from work. I cooked my baked, baked my way through a French culinary Institute baking book, just taught myself a ton of recipes. Um, and I just loved incorporating flavors of the foods that I was eating. And I, cause I realized no one else was doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wanted an Indian dessert, um, Indian desserts have really amazing flavors, but the textures are just not into them. <laughs> like they're either kind of like grainy cause they're made with kind of cooked down milk and nuts, or they're like really milky or they're overly sweet. Actually, they're mostly overly sweet. Um, but they have these lovely flavors like saffron and cardamom and rose water. And they use nuts like pistachios and they're so fragrant and delicious, but I didn't like eating them because right. they were just so sweet. And I started putting those flavors into my cakes. Um, 
And my friends love them. And mm-hmm. I realized, you know, as the years went on that there's no one doing this in New York especially a place like New York where there is a large South Asian population and also just people who are really interested and and have experience and exposure to other cuisines. And I realized that no one was doing it. Um, I was on maternity leave and I had sort of always in the back of my mind wanted to do this. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it now. So I launched Monsoon Suites um, and it's still something that no one else is doing. And I I don't see, <laughs> I, I don't see any competition in the wings. Um, but people have been really receptive to it. And I, you know, I would say about half my clients are South Asian, but the other half is most certainly not. It's, I would say younger people who just want really delicious cakes. What have been the challenges of, you know, you're working full-time in public health and you have two kids too. Like what, how do you balance <laughs> this? I mean, this is like the silly question for all working mothers that everyone asks, but I mean, as a food business owner, like there are specific challenges to doing yeah, that. Um, I would say like whatever, when I have like five minutes when I'm on the subway or something, you know, I'll use that to check emails or to, you know, thank you MTA for having uh, Wi-Fi and cell service <laughs> in your stations <laughs> because it enables me to, you know, right. I can actually just get some of those things and the knock goes out in those little, little chunks of time where you can't sit down and really devote thinking to things. But it's like, I can answer five emails right. in five minutes and yeah. that doesn't require me to use my brain that <laughs> strongly. Um, so just really finding those little pieces, like chunks of time. And I think that, you know, for anyone who, whether you have kids or whether you have multiple jobs, it's, you know, I think it's when you have several pieces of your life, you know, several things that are occupying your time, I think finding those little chunks of time and using them wisely, um, really good eye cream and concealer. Um, (laughs) I've invested in those heavily. Um, I just, you know, some days there's not enough sleep and, I think that it just gets down to if you don't love what you're doing, then the lack of sleep is not worth it right? because it just makes you turn into a very angry person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But where, yeah, because so you are baking out of your home at times, but, mm. and like, what is, um, what's your setup like for that? Um, so I have a dedicated space, um, for it. I, my kitchen is some, thankfully a decent size, um, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I only dedicate certain days to it. Um, and so like there's a full clean out, um, I have a dedicated, um, fridge space to it. Um, I have, I also have storage, um, in my building. Um, so I have like all my stuff set up there. I have a fridge down there. So it's all like, it's got its own little space for it. Um, so yeah, I, I thankfully live in an apartment where I have space to do all of this stuff Um, and like dedicated spaces for it too. Otherwise it would not be possible. Totally. Yeah. And you do do some vegan flavors, but I know that you've complained about not being able to get a vegan buttercream. I have had a really hard time with that. (laughs) And if you have an awesome vegan buttercream recipe for me, I'm all in. I, one of my challenges too, is I don't love using, um, like, animal product substitutes. Right. I have yet to try the Miyoko's butter, which I've heard is really Miyoko's good. Miyoko's is really good. Okay. And so is Faba, who they were on the podcast actually. Um, but theirs is coconut oil and aquafaba base. Right. And, and like, that's fine. Like I'm okay with that. Yeah, but I'm yeah, just yeah. like, I don't want to use earth balance. Right. Like, exactly. It's, it's got all this hydrogenated business in it. And I think sort of one of my 
challenges with vegetarianism and veganism too is that people lean really heavily on these processed products um you know a lot of these fake meats and you know seitan is i have no problem with it because that's just straight gluten right um you know obviously tofu is delicious and i wish it did not get such a bad rap in the (laughs) 80s because it's really yummy but like those are natural products that have been in existence for centuries um but like you know a gardein meatball is processed and yeah. a lot of these things are processed with organic chemicals like hexane like i don't want to eat hexane like yeah. i used to use that in um experiments in a lab and it's pretty <laughs> caustic stuff yeah <laughs> i don't want that in my body um and so i think that you know i i try to i i don't use any of those types of products and that's been my challenge in in vegan baking so i, I need to try some of these newer products that that or based on natural, right. you know, not hydrogenated or sort of lab-based products. Right. And you you don't do an American-style buttercream. No, <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. American buttercream is terrible okay. and you should never, ever eat it. Um, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it's overly sweet and it's, it can get crusty. Like your food shouldn't be crusty unless it's a baguette. Like, right. That is the only thing that <laughs> should have a crust on it, um, not your frosting. Um, I make a Swiss meringue-based cool. buttercream. Um, so it is based on egg whites, yeah. um, So it's but it's really silky. It's not super sweet, um, and it's really lovely to decorate with, and that's the only kind I'll use. So. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, I would love to see. I, I, there are vegan bakers online who've been using aquafaba, yeah. but I'm not a big fan of the flavor of aquafaba. It, I don't know if you've played with I it. I have. I've done it, but you... It it needs chocolate in it. <laughs> so yeah, like cover up the chickpea flavor. Yeah, it's so beany and weird. Yeah, and then it gets that like fluffy marsh, kind of a marshmallowy, mm-hmm. like constant marshmallow flavor that like meringue only has if you make right. it taste like that. Um, yeah, I've been I have Versa Whip in the in my kitchen that mm. I haven't used yet. That I'm I'm gonna play with that at some point when I have time. <laughs> I know this is the thing. It's like I'd love to do. Like I'd love to try these things, but I'm just like you know what? I have not found the time for exactly, it. Exactly. So. Yeah. 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 And I but, haven't gotten a ton of demand. I mean, it might also be the fact that I am very clear about the fact that I don't have a ton of vegan flavors, but I haven't been asked by too many people if I can make things vegan right. aside from what I already do. So. I just have not gotten around to it. But there's so many new products coming out. So right. I feel like there may be something that may facilitate a really good vegan buttercream sometime right, right. soon. What was the process for developing the vegan flavors you do have? Um, you know, I feel like like uh, like Brooks at Superiority Burger likes to say uh, <laughs> they were accidentally vegan. Okay. Um, I didn't intend for them to be vegan. Um, my chocolate cake that I make is actually... Um, very easy to make vegan. Um, I use milk in it normally, but I just replace it with coconut milk. It doesn't mm-hmm. actually have eggs in it because I just like the texture of it for chocolate cake like right. that. Um, and there are the vegan cakes just have ganache, um, which I make with coconut milk. So they're they're vegan just because they are. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, no, there's so many vegan ganache recipes that I think are so weird and bad. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but there's no. like weird ones with like almond milk and maple syrup. Like, All you need to do is mix exactly. equal parts of chocolate and coconut milk. Yeah. And a little bit of salt. Yeah. That's no, people it. people get really, really weird with the chocolate ganache recipes. And ve- I don't know. There's so many like weird vegan Coconut milk and heavy recipes. cream are pretty interchangeable because yes, of the yes, fat content. They're yeah. very similar. So 
just swap it out. Don't need <laughs> to complicate is, us. This, I need to tell, speak this about this more, I think, because people, I don't think people realize that, that heavy cream and, and coconut milk are basically the same thing. Yeah. It's very important. Um, I have not seen these weird ganache recipes. Now I'm curious. <laughs> now I'm going to go down this rabbit I hole like, later today. I, you know, I have so many vegan cookbooks and vegan baking books. And like part of the reason I ended up with a vegan bakery was being like, these are bad. Like why, like people starting, starting from like these weird ideas about like what a cake should be instead of like looking at like classic cake mm. recipes and saying, okay, where can we change things? What is the, and, and maybe not understanding like things like fat content and like milk solids versus water right. content and that sort of and thing. And that's where like, like you need to have that scientific understanding. Like right. if you're going to replace something, it needs to replace with something that is similar in its fat and solid composition. And you know, like coconut milk, heavy cream, they're pretty much the same, but you can't replace heavy cream with almond milk. Right. No. Like, that just, I mean, just look at them. Like you should know by looking at it that that's not going to work. It's, you know, they're, they're out there though. Um, so for you, is cooking a political act? Um, I've never thought of it that way. To me, cooking is actually, it's, it's incredibly important to me. Um, I think it's sort of the foundation of our lives. You know, um, I have two young children and it is, one of my highest priorities to cook really good food for them, to cook diverse, nutritious food for them. Um, like there are definitely days when they've eaten frozen pizza um, mm. and that's fine. Like I ate a whole lot of Elio's frozen pizza when yes, I was a kid. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I'm here, I'm, I'm still around and, yeah. you know, I have a pretty healthy relationship with food, so it's fine. But, you know, I it is so important to me to nourish them. Um, and I just think it's, it's an act of love to me. It's, I don't see it as political when it's sort of in the family context. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, for me, it's important because I want them to see that I'm doing this and this is something important in our family. It is important to make food. Right. Um, and that's something that I, you know, I try to model good behavior for them. And that's one of the things it's like, you know, this is something you're going to do when you get older is to cook food for yourself. Um, you know, my kids see me taking, packing my own lunch every morning. You know, I pack a lunch for my son and for myself and my husband, like take your lunch to work with you. Like I'm not going to chopped every day and spending $13 on a salad, right. <laughs> you know, so sort of modeling these healthy habits, but also, you know, my kids are pretty good eaters. You know, they'll, they've been eating all kinds of food since they were little. Um, mostly because like I'm not making you separate food I don't have time for that right, right, right. <laughs> and that's how I was raised too like my you know obviously my mom didn't give us super spicy things when we were very little you know recognizing that our palates probably can't handle all that but you know everything you know she'd make you know like a rice dish and a few different vegetables and it was like you're gonna eat something from here you know you don't have to eat everything you don't have to like everything and that's fine but this is what is for dinner and and that's how it goes in our family too. And I think that it just, it creates a healthy relationship with food and it just also shows them that you care. It's like, I'm taking the time to make you something really delicious. And so to me, it's not just an act of love, but just an act of, you know, supporting, like it is the foundation of your life. Cause if you don't have that, like, you know, getting back to health, it's just so many of our health issues are diet related these days. Um, non-communicable diseases, NCDs, as they're called in the field, are the leading cause of death around the world. You know, we're not worried about things like TB and cholera anymore. Um, it's the things that are killing us or the foods we eat and the fact that we don't move around enough and, you know, smoking to some extent. But a lot of it is driven by our diet. And I think that modeling healthy behaviors and exposing our kids to healthy food when they're little is really goes a long way in combating that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rupa. Thank you, Alicia. 